Welcome to my podcast, Why Didn't Anyone Tell Me This? With my guests, we are discussing health issues, questions you may have, and debunking some of the many myths around our health. And it's a great privilege today to be talking to who I can say, I feel confident now saying one of my recent friends, uh, we're doing a great project together, which we'll talk about, but Dr. Nikki Kay, um, we're going to talk about exercise for women's health. Now, Nikki studied medicine at the University of Cambridge. She was part of the international medical team that developed an anti-doping test for growth hormone. Nikki is an honorary clinical lecturer in the Division of Medicine at University College London. She lectures and research in the areas of exercise endocrinology. She works mainly with exercisers, dancers and athletes and with women experiencing perimenopause and menopause. And as we'll talk about towards the end of this podcast, she's part of the team that we've set up this year at University College London, developing the UK's first menopause education and support programme. Now, Nikki is also medical advisor to Scottish Ballet, and she is author of the book Hormones, Health and Human Potential, which we are going to talk about today. But as always, we're going to start with hearing about Nikki's journey to date and why, Nikki, did you want to become a doctor and where has your interest in exercise, especially dance, come from? Well, thanks so much, Joyce, for inviting me to come on this. I'm really looking forward to um, discussing with you. So um, actually, being uh, enjoying dance and enjoying sport and activity came first before I decided to be a doctor. I was taken to dance classes by my grandmother, as it happened, from the age of four, because she herself was um, a pretty good dancer in her time. She actually got invited to, by Nanette de Valois to join the company, which went on to include the greats like Margot Fontaine. So I was already going to dance and I was doing lots of sport and exercise, um, both in and out of school, really enjoying this. And it sort of occurred to me um, even at that young age, as a you know, as a youngster and my early teens, it's like I'm really enjoying doing dancing, especially and sport and activity. But I wonder what it is that I do this because I enjoy it, because also I want to improve. And so it was really a question in my mind: Why? How can? How does exercise? We know we all know exercise makes you fitter. But I was just so curious. I was just wondering, I wonder what it is that happens inside our bodies. And that's where we come on to medicine. Um, I particularly, I mean, I enjoyed all the subjects at school, I have to be honest, but particularly science because it answered questions like this. Uh, also, it seemed to offer the possibility to answer questions like this. And so that's why I um, decided to study medicine because I wanted to find more more about what happens inside the human body, what's going on, uh, always with a mind that I could then go back and apply it, uh, what I would learn as a doctor to, you know, dancers, athletes, but also people in general to, to explain that question of what it is, why is exercise so good for us and how does it influence our hormones and our health? Uh, by the way, Joyce, I have to tell people a little story that I did actually, I was considering or thinking, imagining I could be maybe a professional dancer. And I did actually do an audition for the Royal Ballet School when I was a youngster. Um, I didn't get accepted because I know that was like the top ballet school. So I thought, well, I've got to try. Um, and then it was at that point I realized that actually I was 
I was probably more is better from the point of view of what I could achieve and also what I could contribute by studying medicine and then going back and 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 dancing and of course keep dance keep dancing throughout my my studies and and my life as I as I've gone on to do so that's a long-winded way of telling you how come I ended up uh, studying medicine being a doctor and why I've got this particular interest uh, in the this relationship between exercise and hormones I love it. And we have got a lot of overlap there because I started dance when I was little. I did ballet and tap as well. I always would love to have been a dancer. I Mm. really, really loved it. And um, we we used to do shows when I was little. And I I think that gave me my my urge to sort of talk in public and perform in public. Um, And I, yeah, no one in my family danced at all. your grandmother I've seen photos of it It was absolutely inspirational um so I also wanted to figure out how the body worked and how disease worked etc so when you were saying that that was really when I was about nine or ten was in my mind and that's why I became um a scientist so I still dance I still um still go to dance classes when I can I still go everyone knows I think by now I go day raving every few weeks it's wonderful that we have for older people all these raves during the day so we can dance for hours on end and and I've told my kids that when I can't dance anymore that's it I'm I'm you know I'm I'm going to bail out of this life because it's such a huge passion of mine um but we'll we'll talk about exercise in in general as well I, I mean there's so many hobbies that people could do but exercise you've said as well it's not just about losing weight and it's not what we look like it's about our long well our short and long-term health and in your book you talk about how important exercise is for women's health so can we delve into that a bit more can we you tell us about the short and long-term health benefits of exercising well um I'm delighted to be speaking to a fellow dancer, uh, Joyce, by the way, but but you just described it just there, the short-term benefits of doing exercise. And we say exercise, it, we're including anything. The most important thing is enjoyment. So for us, it happens to be dancing, but for others, it might be walking, it might be running, it might be swimming, cycling. You know, it, exercise is the most important thing is what you enjoy, because that is one of the big short-term benefits of taking exercise. The enjoyment, the mental health aspect of it. Uh, you, you enjoy doing something you, you can really throw yourself into, and potentially also this might mean uh, being with other people, with friends. I mean, the people in my ballet class, for example, uh, they remember when I was pregnant going to class, and that's a long time ago, seeing as my boys are now in their 20s. So you get the idea that doing exercise is, of course, very good for you uh, in terms of your short-term mental health, social health, and also absolutely physical health. So that's probably more the longer-term benefits, I would say, because, by the way, when we talk about health, Joyce, we should point out that health isn't just, as you say, lots of people think it's just the physical thing. It's the physical health, it's the mental health, and it's the social health. And so exercise ticks all these boxes. So in the short term, like I said, you just get a buzz from going and doing something you enjoy, uh, and often with uh, friends that you can do this, enjoy the same thing. But in terms of uh, longer term health benefits, um, sort of, well, if we split that maybe down, Joyce, a little bit further into the next days and weeks, 
you uh, your hormones spring into action and they drive those beneficial adaptations to the exercise you've done. So if you go and do some dancing and you get a little bit out of puff, right, um, then actually that's very good because then gradually uh, in the next few days, your cardiovascular health, your heart health will improve. The strength at which your heart pumps and the blood goes around your body, so that's great. Metabolic health, so you have better blood glucose control and body composition in terms of uh, you obviously would prefer to everyone needs a little bit of fat, but not too much. And so it really favors, uh, you know, the body composition in terms of favoring uh, muscle rather than fat, for example. So those are, take a little bit longer to build up. So those are the long-term uh, beneficial effects. And of course, we should also mention bone, shouldn't we? Um, even swimming, although it's not putting weight through the skeleton, still you're using your muscles and those pull on the bones. But all these types of exercise we're describing, whether it's dancing, running, whatever it is, these are all going to be helpful for the short term. You just feel good uh, and want to go back for doing more. But also, uh, it's certainly absolutely in the long term. It's keeping you um, fit, physically fit, but also mental, mentally fit, I would say, if I can put it like that. Especially in, in dance, you have to pick up things quickly. And you have to maybe learn new techniques in other sports or, or things like this. So um, exercise is definitely top of the list for your both your short term and long term health. And also, I think um, exercise, Joyce, we should really stress is something everyone can do. Uh, you know, uh, even if it's even if you don't have to have lots of money or equipment, you know, even everyone, it's free to go walking, for example, then that's a very good starting point. So I think that's the great, really big advantage of exercise. It's open to everybody. There's not a starting uh, entry point. You, you can just go out and walk around the block. And that's a, that's a good point if you haven't done much exercise before or if you have got a particular passion like we have dancing, then absolutely, um, uh, you know, continue to do that. And it will really benefit you from all points of view of your health. Thank you. You've, you've mentioned a few times there mental health. So um, I, th I think many mm. people don't realise, again, they think of fitness and they think of bodybuilders and they think of muscles and a six pack. But as you said, our mental health <laughs> is so important. And with exercise, that there's many real reasons why um, exercise improves our mental health. Did you want to say a little bit more about mental health? Yeah, well, I mean, it gives you that feel-good feeling. So those are the short-term hormones, of course, the endorphins, et cetera, or more precisely neurotransmitters. So that's why you feel good, you, you get that buzz. Uh, but also the uh, going back to what drives the adaptations or the response to exercise, it's these internal hormones, these internal chemical messengers, which absolutely we are all aware that they will have physical effects in terms of your body composition and uh, that we discussed uh, just now. But these hormones also, by the way, are really important for our mental health. They go into the brain and help us, well, think more clearly, if I can put it like that. And, and we feel good. It's mood as well, because you're much more likely, more likely to, to be able to think clearly, cognitive function, you know, just uh, being on the ball, if you're in a good mood. We all know that if you're feeling you know, like a bit, uh, yeah, uh, dragged down. Um, actually, if you go and do some exercise, that gets the blood flowing, gets the hormones pumping. And so actually, it improves your mental health in terms of your mood, but therefore also your, uh, you know, your, your brain power, if you will. So 
I think that you're really, it's a really important point, Joyce, to bring out there that the exercise um, is for the physical. Yes, we all know that. But actually, people maybe forget. It's also <laughs> above the neck as well. Uh, it's really helpful. And although we admire the superficial appearance, you know, the six pack or whatever, that is literally superficial. Uh, but actually, it doesn't really... That well, I mean, for, if you're competing in a bodybuilding competition, I, I accept that that is your objective actually for that that superficial look, if you will. But actually, exercise is so much more than that. It's also the intern our internal health, especially our hormones, internal health, including um, you know our brain, our mental health as well. And, and your book, you talk a lot about uh, the menstrual cycle and how exercise. And hormones interact during the menstrual cycle. So before we go, we're going to go into each you know, cardiovascular and muscle things in more in more detail in a moment. But I, I wanted to just pause and talk about the menstrual cycle. Um, we've been doing a lot of interviews with young girls um, about how it's making them feel. And obviously, during our menstrual cycle, our hormones are varying quite a lot. So what advice would you give to women about exercising you know, during their menstrual cycle, should they do it different exercises at different times? And can exercise help them during that, that st- the whole cycle? Mm. Well, there's a lot of debate about, uh, I mean, the menstrual cycle is underpinned by these amazing fluctuations. I'm saying amazing because the choreography of the hormones during the menstrual cycle is second to none. It's fantastic, really intricate. And these hormones, especially the hormones that the ovaries produce during the menstrual cycle, the estrogen and the progesterone, um, you know, these vary a lot, which is important because uh, each individual woman, her own, she's got her own personal variation. Although we see in the textbooks, there's a nice little graph that, oh, this is how it looks. But that doesn't mean that every single woman will look exactly like that. There might be variations on the theme in terms of the timing of these hormones, the levels of these hormones, and crucially, the individual biological response to the fluctuations of hormones. So you're quite right. Some, some women uh, will go through their menstrual cycle and say, hey, I, I felt fine throughout it. There wasn't a problem. Uh, you know." But others will notice big differences like cramps during menstruation at the beginning of the cycle or, for example, premenstrual symptoms. So I think that what it comes down to saying is there is not an absolute um, rule book or, or blueprint for this. You should do this exercise here, this exercise there in your cycle. I know there are some menstrual monitoring apps that do that. They give out very generic advice. They say you should be feeling a fantastic now just before ovulation. You can really do that strength training. Um, which it might be true for some women if by chance that is truly where they are in their cycle and it is at, and, and if their estrogen is uh, rising at that time and if their biological response is as we know happens in the Petri dish in the lab, you see. So there's all these ifs and buts along the way. So I think my best advice, honestly, Joyce, is to women is you do go on your feel. So you can glance at these menstrual apps or old-fashioned days, write it down with pen and paper when, you're, when you have your periods, and then you can kind of work out where you might be in your cycle. But ultimately, um, it's on feel. Uh, you know, am I feeling really good? If you're feeling really good, then great. Um, 
you know, go for it with your exercise. But if you're not feeling so good and a little bit sluggish and a little bit tired, then be kind to yourself. Say, well, you know, I was planning on going for, um, I don't know, a really hard swim, but actually I'm not feeling so great today. I'm going to just do a walk maybe. And I will put off that swim to another time. And if you are sort of flexible in your approach like that, I think I'm hoping that, you know, especially the teenage girls won't find their menstrual cycles so problematic, um, you know, getting worried that, oh, why am I feeling so bad? And I've got to force myself to do it. And, you know, the menstrual app said I should be feeling great and I'm not. It's like you have to kind of have confidence and get to know your own body and listen to your own body. But uh, certainly in terms of those women who do have um, uh, issues, problems, as you, as you mentioned, Joyce, you know, we know that uh, the menstruation can produce lots of can produce cramps, but actually, there's good evidence and studies to show that doing some gentle exercise, at least during that time, can actually be really helpful in those cramps. So I used to find actually that going for going swimming, for example, was helpful during then because it sort of elongates the body and stretches it stretches it out. But there's also evidence to show that something gentle like Pilates, again with a little bit of stretching, can help. Uh, during, if that's a problematic time for you. And similarly, for the um, in the premenstrual stage, so in that luteal phase, so the bit in the couple of weeks before your period, if you're feeling low in mood, um, just a bit fatigued, then uh, again, just doing some gentle exercise can again help because we've said already how excellent exercise is for, for your mental health and your mood. So I think that's my best advice. Um, Go with, well, go with the flow, how you feel and don't be, um, you know, concerned if others are telling you or menstrual apps are telling you you should be feeling great and you're not. It just might be you. That's fine. We all want to be individuals after, after all. We're not clones. We're, uh, um, I don't know, you'll probably know that lovely quote, Joyce, from the Vice President Royal College of Obstetrics Gynecologist. She said, we need to treat women as individuals, not statistics. I mean, she was actually talking specifically about perimenopause, but I have to say it applies throughout the, the woman's, uh, a woman's life because our hormones are so amazing and intricate and beautiful choreography. So we need to consider ourselves as individuals, not statistics. Thank you so much, because I had, um, I mean, I don't have a menstrual cycle anymore, but I'd been reading all these reports and suggestions and advice that women should be doing different exercises as you said in the middle of their cycle they're supposed to be feeling amazing and when they're mm. uh, premenstrual they might not you know they might want to do yoga or or something lighter than you know something high impact but you are totally right we are individuals and, and we do a lot of work around that in the perimenopause and I'd never thought about mm. it's obvious but the exercise relation to mm. Our menstrual cycle not all women are going to feel the same and that's going to be an important message through our exercise um discussion today we are all individual and, and as you said we have to listen to our own body not the body of the woman next to us mm -hmm. um or our sister mm -hmm. or whoever we've got to do what works for us which is brilliant advice so let's go we'll, we'll come back to specific issues for women um and we'll come obviously to the perimenopause, but let's 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 look at a couple of the key types of exercise. So um, we've got some worrying data about cardiovascular health for women, it being one of the 
um, biggest killers of women globally and many, many countries, the top killers or heart attacks are of the top killers of women. And we always normally associate that with men. And I just wanted to hear what you think we should be doing for cardiovascular fitness. So what's the good, good things that women could do to look after their heart? Yeah, just to stress that point, uh, Joyce, about cardiovascular disease concerning them being on the increase. And also, um, uh, I think, uh, I know we're going to talk about it specifically shortly, but, you know, menopause, if you ask most women, in fact, they did in a study and said, what do you think the main killer of women after menopause is? And they answered breast cancer, when actually it's uh, swinging more and more in favour of cardiovascular disease. And it equals, becomes to equal that of men. because of our female hormones are amazing things, by the way, for our cardiovascular health. So uh, what to do in turn? So cardiovascular health, yeah, absolutely super important to, um, you know, it's not just a protection thing, but why not enhance it? Actually, if you're cardiovascularly fit, then you're going to be able to pump your blood very effectively and efficiently throughout the body. So even when you're not exercising, you're going to have a good supply of, of oxygen and nutrients to your brain. So it's not just cardiovascular fitness or exercise isn't just important if you are uh, looking to improve your exercise performance. It's your performance. Well, it's your health overall. It's really important. So the best types of – so it's very important to do that. And what are the best types of exercise um, uh, to improve that? And uh, no surprise, it would be things that – um, you know, test out the cardiovascular system. So so-called aerobic exercise, like swimming, cycling, um, dancing, of course, uh, you know, all those sorts of things. And lots of those activities, or some of them are actually outside as well. So that's a really good combination. I love actually, um, I, I mean, running is one of them, but I have to be honest, I'm not a great runner. I don't particularly enjoy it myself. So actually cycling for me is great because it means I get outside, get to look around, get some fresh air. And I know I'm also uh, giving my, um, you know, giving my heart a good workout. Yeah, I, I was going to come back to that later, but um, exercising outside and exercising outside with friends, again, they tick physical and mental mm. health boxes. So they're really, really good. Um, so lots of I know lots of people that uh, just walk and they say, oh, well, I'm, I do lots of exercise. I walk. And uh, it was quite interesting, interesting when I first got my Apple Watch and was very aware that sometimes you might go on a really long walk and then it it says you've done 15 minutes exercise. And that's because of the heart rate monitor and mm. needing that heart rate to go up to register it as exercise. So I, I just wondered what you thought about that. Is it? And I believe fast walking is great. And I know that um, mm. the government a few years ago, uh, what do they call it? Was it uh, Active 10, I think they called it. They were trying to encourage people to do 10 minutes of fast walking. Well, three lots of 10 minutes. So mm. we did 30 minutes fast walking a day rather than our obsession with these 10,000 steps, which if you do it very, very slowly, mm. is obviously better than doing nothing. But is mm. that really good for our body overall, but certainly our heart, if we're not increasing our heart rate? Mm. Yeah, that's a very important point. It, uh, because doing uh, sort of uh, low-intensity, long-duration 
um, does have uh, some benefits, um, you know, sort of fat burning and uh, sort of metabolic health, maybe um, aerobic exercise. But you're right, if you're looking specifically for cardiovascular beneficial effects, then actually it is more the heart rate thing. So the key message here, Joyce, is I think mix it up. Because the other thing to point out is that the body responds, or more specifically, the hormones respond and drive adaptations um, according to the type of exercise you do. In other words, you want light and shade. So if you are doing something that gets the heart rate up, make sure it does get the heart rate up. So a brisk walk or or a, a, you know, a, a decent fast swim or something like that. And it can be within that block of doing exercise. So, for example, I went swimming to the pool this morning, and yeah, I did a little, a slow, well, low warm up. Yeah, I just got the muscles going, so that was low, um, you know, aerobic. My heart rate probably wasn't very high, but then I did try and put in something a little bit faster to get the heart rate up. So, even within the same exercise session, like you say, if you're doing some walking, then you can absolutely do a little bit of a faster walk to get get the breathing rate up, get the heart rate up. Uh, and then also having that lower intensity for the more uh, aerobic type exercise. So I think that's the other key thing we should highlight, Joyce, is that um, I get accused often of training or doing exercise in the grey zone. So just doing it like neither easy nor hard or just the whole lot is just in this sort of no man's land. So if possible, whatever your preferred exercise is, um, and actually, a dance class is great for this, isn't it, Joyce? Because certainly ballet, it's actually built in. You start off very slowly at the bar with slow movements. Um, uh, and then you get a little bit more intense. You come into the center. And then the last bit is like high intensity. And your heart rate definitely gets up when you're doing all the jumping. So maybe that's a useful thing to remind people of. Try, try and mix up the level of intensity of your, of your exercise because your hormones will thank you for it. And yeah. Talking about mixing it up. So why is um, doing some muscle, well, improving our muscle strength so important for women? Well, um, I mean, number one, just from a functional point of view, we are going to have to lift up some heavy things from time to time, right? And so actually just having some strength there is a, is a good idea. Uh, but the, the reason about doing strength work is, so you can functionally do things uh, without, uh, you know, uh, causing yourself uh, an injury, but also muscular strength, also in the terms of not just, oh, can I lift up this heavy thing, but actually is, is uh, am I engaging the muscles for support for, for good posture? And actually, that's quite important when you are doing any sort of strength training. Strength training, we should say maybe, Joyce, that yes, there are some that like doing the free weights. Uh, personally, I don't. But anyway, so when we say strength, we should say there is this, there is uh, lifting weights, free weights, or those machines you see in the gym. Um, also, you can do resistance strength work with exercise bands, resistance bands. That's quite a good way. Pilates, some of those um, apparatus, those machines with the springs are also pretty good. Um, you could also be doing strength work. Actually, there's a recent study showing that body weight exercise. So holding the dreaded plank. <laughs> <laughs> is actually useful as well. So whatever, when we talk about strength, it's any of those sorts of things, um, obviously encouraging the muscles to engage uh, and improve their function, uh, and also really good for metabolic health because muscles are very metabolically active tissue. So they will help with um, uh, glucose, blood glucose control, 
and obviously body composition itself in terms of muscle versus fat. And these effects actually persist even after you stop doing the exercise, the strength exercise. So, of course, when you're actually doing it, you're using those muscles. But then when you stop, then you still have this uh, increased metabolic rate, as we say. So the muscles will basically suck up uh, glucose and, and, and want more energy to restore and repair. So I think those are the main reasons why, including some sort of strength work, whatever it looks like for you, uh, that's, that's going to be really, really beneficial for your health. I, I found with um, I've been kayaking a lot. Um, we're supposed to be kayaking this morning, actually. We're, oh, we're yeah. not cancelled. That's another story. But kayaking, I felt, you know, so, oh. it's so my arms are aching by then. I mm. feel I've done a, a lot of resistance yes. at, at the end of that. Um, so right, we've we've got the we've got the heart going. We've got the the muscles are strong. You've talked a little bit about endurance. What about flexibility and the importance of stretching? Yeah, well, flexibility. Um... I mean, from a dancing point of view, uh, that sort of comes uh, comes with the territory. So, but I know that lots of people don't necessarily include that when you're thinking what sorts of exercise should I do. I think most people would know about, you know, getting the pulse rate up, um, cardiovascular, and also we've had a, lots of people talking about strength being important. But actually, flexibility sometimes doesn't get so much of a mention. But it's really important. What do we mean by that? We mean that. If you are flexible, and so you can, you have the ability to move your joints through the full range of movement, then actually that's going to make your movement itself um, uh, mechanically better rather than having a very restricted range of movement over your joints if you are very stiff. Um, so definitely including some stretching is really important. The main things you can stretch are the muscles themselves. So um, if we think of a joint, um, let's take uh, the knee joint. Um, there's lots of muscles which um, are around the knee joint, but actually the things that are quite rigid are the ligaments and tendons. So the tendons attach the muscle to the bone and the ligaments stabilize it. So obviously you don't want to be stretching those because otherwise you make the, the joint unstable, but you can stretch the muscles and that will enable the joint to go through its full, full range of movement. So that's why uh, keeping the flexibility uh, going uh, is really important. We all know as youngsters, uh, you know, babies, when they go fall asleep and they're in that beautiful frog position where their knees flap down right flat on the side of the bed. We know that when you're really small, you have that flexibility. But obviously, as you get older, if you're not actively looking to include some stretching in your exercise, then things will literally uh, stiffen up. But I think we should also remind people, Joyce, that stretching, there are two types of stretching. You should always do some sort of stretching, dynamic stretching before you exercise. So that means that you're not holding a stretch position, but you're, for example, when I went swimming this morning, I do some arm circling, just get the, the muscles and, and, uh, going and the blood flowing. And then when you do your static stretching, so if you've been doing a lot of walking or running, then, you know, for example, doing the calf stretch, you do that at the end when your muscles are already got lots of blood there and then you're going to get the benefits of that static stretching and that's when you have you should hold it so the muscles can elongate so stretching really important part uh, the recipe uh, of all the types of fitness to consider and include um, and also even within the stretching there is different types of, of stretching and and 
as you say, if you, if we don't use it, we're we're going to lose it, and we will get stiffer and yep. stiffer. Those joints and muscles, as we age, will get stiffer and stiffer. And so, mm. again, the the variation. Uh, my ideal week is uh, today. I did body balance. Tomorrow, I'm doing body mm. combat and body pump. So I've got a bit of cardio, a bit of uh, weights, mm-hmm. and then um, later in the week, I'll be doing some cold water swimming. We'll, we'll come on to different types of exercise in a minute, minute. But going back to stretching, so you you said in your book that we need to hold a stretch for thirty seconds, and I've heard this so many times. But in all the classes I ever go to, we never do that. We're lucky if we do ten seconds, to be honest. So yeah. why is thirty seconds so important? Yeah. It does seem like a long time, I know. Hmm. <laughs> you know, you're like, uh, sometimes in ballet class, it's like we've done lots of uh, work uh, um, on demi point, so we're using our calf muscles. And then our teacher said, right, we're going to do a stretch. And she said, I'm going to time you. She's a physiotherapist, so she doesn't know what she's talking about. She said, right, you've got to hold it for 30 seconds. And she times us, and it's like, this is going on forever. So it does seem like a long time. The reason is that the muscles, if you look at it at a microscopic level, it's like lots of little, it's like uh, lots of rowers where they're all stuck out, you see. Uh, that's what muscle looks like under the microscope. So if you just do it cursorily, then the oars won't move. But actually, if you hold it there, then the muscle will relax and it will allow it to elongate. So that's why uh, just a cursory, like couple of seconds, just doing a, a calf stretch. It's not really a calf stretch. It's just, well, it's not, it's not really anything. So <laughs> you have to give it that full duration of the 30 seconds so that the muscles can release literally and you can elongate it. We know this just, you know, as you hold it, you do feel it. Oh, it's easing, it's giving. And also the other thing we should make clear, Joyce, I don't know about you, but um, in the 80s, it was all the thing, oh, bounce your stretch. It's like, no, don't do that. So people bouncing their calf stretch, you know, going bounce, bounce, bounce. Don't do it. Don't do it. Because the little um, oars in your muscles will sort of stick there and then they get jolted. And so actually you're more likely to tear the muscle doing that. So the magic uh, recipe is do your static stretches, hold them for 30 seconds after your exercise, whatever it is, when the muscles are warm and uh, to give them that opportunity to stretch out and elongate and and have a little rest. Let the uh, rowers disengage for a moment. That's a great way of describing it, Nikki. Thank you. Um, I will reveal my my party trick. Um, at 60, I can still do the splits. Oh, yes. But I always tell my friends, I, wow. try, I, try not, <laughs> I try not to do it. I think it's a bit embarrassing. I'm sort of dressed up, <laughs> you know, splayed across the floor in the splits. <laughs> and, I, and I don't get up very elegantly anymore. Um, I actually used to be a cartwheel into the splits, but I, I try not to do it anymore. Oh. But, um, but then wow, I tell my that friends. that is impressive. Is it? Yeah, I can't. I can't do the splits anymore. I can't do oh. the splits anymore. Just to say, I I used to be able to do them uh, when I was obviously a youngster. But I have to say, Joyce, I, I'm I kind of almost don't want to try because I yeah, as you say, the getting out of it is often the harder bit. So I think I'll leave it to you. <laughs> well, exactly. That I was going to say that then then sometimes friends try to do it, and I say, please don't try to do it. If you if you know you're mm. forty, fifty, or sixty, you've never done it before. Please don't try. Don't try this at home. So, and actually I can only, I do it much better with one leg forward, my right leg forward than my left. Anyway, but let's, uh, that's just my, my little, another little ditty for today. Um, so let's also talk about balance. So as we age, those of us with elderly parents will know that something that happens very common is they fall and the data, mm. but mm. if a woman, older woman breaks 
her hip and certain other mm. uh, muscles, uh, sorry, bones is really, um, you know, it's really bad data. The chance of surviving and recovering is really mm. low. So why, why is balance so important and what can we do to improve our balance? Yeah, you're, I mean, as we get older um, and the female hormones, especially estrogen, declines, then the bones themselves become weaker. So you are potentially more prone to fracture. But of course, if you haven't got good balance, uh, that this also contributes to the increased risk of fracture. Not only are the bones weak, but if your balance is poor, you're more likely to trip over or, or lose your balance and fall over and break a bone. And as you said, the data is not great for the outcomes uh, of that. Uh, and I remember that my grandmother, my sister came home from school and found her on the floor with a broken neck of femur uh, because she had lost her balance. Um, uh, you, uh, actually, as it happened, a bit of clothing got stuck in a, in a drawer. So yeah, there was a little bit of something. But the thing is, if most of us, if we fall over from standing height, by the way, please don't do this at home either as an experiment. But most of us, if you fall over from a standing height, you know, just a little stumble, probably you wouldn't break something. But it's also the innocuous fall from not very high up or not a high energy uh, impact. That's the real, um, you know, risk and something we want to uh, try and prevent. And so therefore, uh, balance is a key part of this. And at this point, I want to I give a shout out to the excellent infographic from the Royal um, Osteoporosis Society, which is called Strong, Straight, Steady. So strong, yes, we need to strengthen our bones with the strength training, for example. Uh, straight posture, if you've got good, strong muscles, hopefully you'll be more upright. Uh, and then the steady thing, that's the, uh, the crucial bit of this equation. So proprioception is means the awareness of where your body is in space and you know hopefully doing ballet I'm pretty aware of where my body is if if the arabesque's right behind my head or something but you know it's never too late to train things this is the other thing lots of people say oh well I've never been very flexible I've never I've never had good balance so they kind of throw in the towel it's like no 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 you can still do it and in fact I was doing teaching a, a delightful gentleman who had um, a stroke uh, and he was just coming up to 90. And it was like, no, we can improve your balance for sure, because we don't want you falling over. So even just simple things like holding on to something steady, like a worktop surface, and just making sure you can balance there and you can transfer the, your weight from foot to foot. Everybody can do that when you're waiting for the kettle to boil. And if you get really ambitious, you find that super easy, holding on to something, you can shut your eyes and do it as well. So get your body, train your body, your body will respond to, you know, how uh, the ex type of exercise you do. So it's always worthwhile keeping that, keeping that aspect going uh, in terms of exercise. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, stability and balance, super, super important. Thank you, Nikki. And uh, we've talked about the menstrual cycle. So um, in my field, I've worked in fertility and uh, the perimenopause for many years and we see women uh, and the men that are trying to get pregnant and maybe having a problem and exercise has come up a lot the advice is that they should be mm. looking after their well-being and they should be looking after their nutrition and sleep and exercise etc um, have you got any guidance about uh, 
pregnancy, what if if and and I think I think the exercise for the man is equally as important. But we'll just concentrate on the women mm. today. So, um, what about if you're trying to get pregnant or if you are pregnant? Um, have you got any advice for women around this time of their life? Yeah, you're, I totally agree with you, Joyce. That um, you know, if you're looking to conceive, then taking care of your lifestyle in terms of your sleep, uh, your exercise, and your nutrition is super important. And I'll tell you why, because those three lifestyle things, um, or behaviors, if you want to call them that, those directly influence our hormones. And of course, getting pregnant, you're very dependent on the hormones and the menstrual cycle and ovulating, etc. So it's it's definitely for every woman uh, looking to conceive and get pregnant, absolutely taking care of those things, especially and, and including the exercise. And you're right also for the, the man as well, but uh, we'll leave that one for another day. So definitely uh, if that is, you know, if you are struggling to get pregnant, um, you know, doing some exercise and just revising and reviewing what you're doing around your uh, sleep patterns um, and your nutrition, because we know these have a big, big influence on your hormones. So that's the getting pregnant. Um, and then uh, hopefully, you know, when you are pregnant, uh, then in terms of what exercise can I do? And I agree. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you're the same that, you know, when you are pregnant, you do, obviously, you feel really responsible. You're just like, oh, I don't want to do the wrong thing. Maybe I shouldn't exercise or whatever. So I think, again, it goes back to also to how you feel. So probably doing really high intensity um, in the early weeks isn't a good idea. And probably you won't feel like that because if you have got, well, it's called morning sickness, but I call it continuous day nausea, uh, you probably actually won't feel like doing that anyway. So actually your body's trying to tell you something. The body's saying, look, we're just sorting out the pregnancy, the implantation, we're just getting the placenta going. Please don't do high intensity exercise. That doesn't mean you sh shouldn't do anything. So some gentle swimming, some walking, that's that's fine in the early pregnancy. And then thereafter, again, it does pretty much go down to feel. Um, I don't think women should be scared about doing exercise. Definitely, we don't want to say that. But obviously, common sense dictates it's not a good idea to start to take out marathon running, for example, if you've never been done running before. So it's just keeping going what you are already doing and comfortable with, but not pushing it. So for example, I kept doing my full ballet classes a week and my friends, they all laughing and joking. It's like, oh, we remember when you came in, it looked like you had this enormous cannonball in you and there you were doing the dance class. But inevitably, just naturally, um, as I became more and more pregnant, it's like, you know, I don't actually feel like I want to try and jump. I just don't want to but you can do all the other things so my best advice is keep doing the exercise that you enjoy and you're used to it's not a time for taking up uh, whatever bungee jumping or I don't know don't don't <laughs> uh, but keep doing what you're doing because that's what you enjoy and that's what you're used to doing so you're less likely to get injured and you know um, but just just listen to your body and actually going on perceived exertion how you feel you know, if you're feeling really, really puffed and just you're sort of thinking, your, your body will tell you, I don't want to do this, then just listen to it at that point. That's the best way uh, of, of monitoring uh, how far you should push it. Brilliant, Nikki. You said, said the two things I would say, which is um, listen to your body and um, don't start something new. So 
we've had a lot of discussion uh, about cold water swimming and being pregnant. And we are, we've been trying for, I think we've been working on the document for about a year and a half. Obviously there's very, well, there's no research on cold water swimming and pregnancy. We, we would mm. never expose a newly pregnant woman to that. Um, so we, we've, no, we have quite. gathered together all the information we can. And the advice absolutely is don't start it if you've never done it. Um, th- mm. So those that have been yeah, doing quite. it since, yeah, before they were pregnant. Um, so again, some people might remember the Paula Radcliffe picture of her running when she was very pregnant but again she's always done it so that's the key if you've always done it and and you feel okay to carry on then you can but yeah don't don't start and it's certainly not something as extreme as as, uh, cold water swimming if you're uh, if you've not done it before so Mm -hmm. let's move on to the the good old perimenopause and menopause and exercise now I always say to everyone, I exercise through my perimenopause. At the time, it was about 15 years ago, one of my students was doing a project on exercise and menopause, and it really helped me. It really motivated me. I mean, I was doing quite a lot anyway. I've always done quite a lot of classes and swimming and things, but um, I I certainly took it up to another level, um, and I felt it really helped. But uh, according to the data Mm. I'd read until fairly recently, the studies – didn't seem to show that it really had helped some of the symptoms. But I think there's some more recent data out now that's a bit more encouraging. So what would you say for the perimenopause and postmenopause woman? Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, well, one of the papers that caught my eye was um, saying that uh, vasomotor symptoms, i.e. the dreaded hot flushes, that was uh, improved in a study by doing exercise. The theory is, that if you're doing exercise, your body has got to cope with the change in body temperature. I mean, why, you, why do you get hot flushes, by the way, is because uh, it's thought that the temperature regulation center in the brain just gets a bit confused and messed up. And so that's why all your blood flows to the extremities and you feel really hot. And actually, interestingly, there's a less blood flow, cerebral blood flow, less blood flow to the brain, which could actually be so hot flushes, there's a new thing saying maybe hot flushes and brain fog, there the could be a reciprocal relationship there. Anyway, in this study I'm talking about that they, um, uh, they had two groups, and the women that did the exercise, they reported less severity of their hot flushes. And maybe the mechanism is because, as I say, the body kind of gets used to uh, or reused to or uh, uh, regulating body temperature. So that's definitely can help with symptoms from that point of view. Also, I would say from, we've already said how excellent um, exercise is for your brain health, you know, and your mental health and, and well-being. So I think just getting out and doing what you love doing, what you've been doing throughout your life, like off to my ballet class, it's like, okay, I'm just going to go to my ballet class. I'm there. I'm going to enjoy the moment. And it just puts you at your ease and in, in a different, in your familiar space that is going to help your overall well-being and therefore your symptoms. Everything seems less, uh, doesn't seem so bad when you come back from valley class. It's like, oh, okay, that now, I'm, you know, I went off feeling not so good, but now I feel better. Um, uh, but also in the nitty gritty of the exercise also, there are now quite a lot of studies actually showing that um, apart from the symptoms in terms of the health benefits of exercise, uh, we've said they're important throughout the life, but particularly this this time when your hormones are changing massively, um, the ovaries are retiring, and also other hormones like 
growth hormone, which is a so-called anabolic hormone, builds up muscles rather than fat. These are all on the decline, but this is not all doom and gloom. Uh, again, you can look at doing exercise and studies show that this improves uh, your metabolic health, in other words, blood uh, glucose control and body composition. So there's plenty of good reasons why, um, number one, if you're already exercising, absolutely try and continue doing it. But also if maybe you've let it slip, because I think that's the other thing, you know, we get busy, right? Uh, and it's like, I, I used to do all this exercise and now I'm perimenopause and now, uh, you know, uh, I'm, have I got the confidence to go back to doing this exercise? Absolutely. And in fact, you, you'll you feel a lot better for it from the point of view of your alleviating symptoms and again, you know, the long-term health benefits. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think exercise around perimenopause and postmenopause is a win-win, especially if you do it with friends. And mm. and we'll we'll come on to we'll finish off with mm-hmm. different types of exercise that we can do. And you did mention bone health earlier, but obviously, and obviously the three big problems we worry about um, postmenopause. What I worry about postmenopause is our cardiovascular health, which we've talked about. Um, dementia and Alzheimer's and also osteoporosis. Um, so let's mm. start with osteoporosis. So, um, you know, what can what can women do uh, to help with osteoporosis as they age? Yeah, so the bones are, will um, decline in their bone mineral density because of the estrogen starts to go low after menopause. So that's, that's what's going on. Um, so what can you do to mitigate that? Um, certainly lifestyle, all the things we've discussed, actually interesting studies showing that sleep helps. Sleep always helps. The chief nourisher in life's great feast. I love that quote from Shakespeare. Um, nutrition, of course, you know, eating plenty of protein to prevent the muscles breaking down and also to, to support the bone health. But in terms specifically of exercise uh, to support your bone health, um, well, it was that strong, straight, steady thing I mentioned with the Royal Osteoporosis Society. So um, this is where, if you can, uh, you know, uh, weight, well, I'm going to, how should I put it, strength training. There is sort of a gradation of what you can, what you feel are able and feel comfortable with doing. There is the straight up weight lifting, if you will, uh, weight training, strength training. And there's a lovely study. I have to mention this study simply because it's of the name. It's called Lift More. <laughs> That's the name of the study. I'm not even sure what the abbreviation is. And they found actually women who, I think they were in their 60s or 70s even, um, in that group that they gave supervised weight training, strength training to, those women didn't lose height. Their bones didn't squash down in their vertebrae. And actually, if anything, it improved. So definitely that's the sort of the, the, the top one you can do. But like I've admitted to, I don't really like doing that. And some people simply can't because maybe they've got injuries, they've got bad knees, whatever it is. So yeah, that if you can, that's brilliant. But if not, coming down the scale, the resistance bands that we mentioned, that's, uh, and you know, you don't have to have fancy equipment, by the way. Um, going back to the weight training thing, you can get little handheld weights or, you know, you can even use cans of soup or whatever. So we can all walk around uh, with some weights and do some simple things like that. Resistance bands um, are great. So it's all about loading the skeleton, putting some stress through the skeleton to stimulate it. Um, but uh, if none of those things are possible, uh, because you've, uh, 
recently had a joint replacement. I've got two um, replacement hips, by the way. But anyway, so I wasn't allowed to go in the studio for a few months. But during that time, I could still go swimming. And actually, the muscles pulling on the bones as I was swimming, uh, that was, you know, it's better than nothing. So I think that that's the real key message I want to say, Joyce, about the bone health. It's one, it's such an important thing to consider. Um, you know, sadly, both my grandmother and my mother, I know there's a family history of osteoporosis. So I, you know, I'm trying to do everything I can to uh, prevent that. And it's doing as much as you personally can. But I think there's so many messages there saying, oh, you have to do weight training. If you can, fantastic. But don't let that be a put off. Don't think, well, I can't do that, so I won't be able to do anything. Find what you can do to load your skeleton because um, osteoporosis, also called the silent killer, brittle bone disease, that's the one that you don't want it to creep up on you uh, and and to fall over and, and end up with a broken hip. Yes, definitely. And the, the third one I mentioned was Alzheimer's and dementia. And going back to what we were saying earlier about exercise and mental health, um, I've read that there's lots mm. of evidence that exercise will, will can reduce the risk of Alzheimer's and dementia. Have you got any comments about that? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, part of it is, I think, the blood flow. It just, you know, gets and gets your brain working. Um, and we know that Alzheimer's doing those mental puzzles and all those sorts of things. But actually, for me, my mental puzzle is going to a ballet class and trying to remember all the steps that you're given. But whatever that exercise is, most of it will involve your brain. Um, you know, you've got to <laughs> you've got to run the right way. You've got to listen to instructions if it's in a class. Particularly, I think that's in that group environment of the class. So definitely keeping the brain agile through exercise. You're ticking both boxes. Physically, you're ticking uh, by doing exercise. You're ticking physical uh, health, but also you're supporting your mental health as as well, like we said at the very beginning. And this in, includes cognitive function and all that sort of thing. I mean, as we know, there is no absolute guarantee in some of these um, conditions. We don't fully understand the the etiology, the origin of them. But certainly we know that if you feel you're doing everything you possibly can, then in itself, that's feeling really good and empowering, isn't it? Right, I'm trying to do everything I can. And actually, the psychological effect of that is pretty important when it comes to uh, cognitive function yeah so we've we've gone through the woman's reproductive lifespan now with uh, something at that menstrual cycle and we've got to post-menopause so ha- with the the data the world data on women and girls exercising is is really a bad read it, it shows that in every mm. country they've looked at mm. women don't exercise enough and I've heard mm. so many people, you, you mentioned at the beginning, just trying to encourage people to move. I think at, at school, we associate mm. exercise with competition and games. And some people might not have been very good at that, might not have been their thing. So they've sort of parked it, which is a really bad thing mm. to do. Obviously, obviously, the earlier we start this, the better. But it's never too late. So... How do you think mm. we can try and encourage women of any age to hopefully they've obviously listened to all your wise words about how this exercise will improve our, our health from our heart to our bones and our brains? But um, how can we encourage women to exercise? 
Mm. Well, I, I think you're right. It goes back, Joyce goes right back to those young age groups. And by the way, I was one of those school children. Um, I hated hockey. I didn't really like netball. But I did like I did like tennis and I did like swimming and I did like doing my ballet outside. So I think it's, um, you know, at that young age, identifying something that you like doing is it goes back to what we were saying at the beginning. It's something you enjoy. And it might not be everyone's cup of tea doing those competitive sports at school. Um, yeah, some of them I weren't. That wasn't my favorite either. But uh, it, as you say, at least you get in the habit there. Um, but then moving on through life, actually, I would say this is a great opportunity. Because then, as you say, maybe you've parked that. And then I've got lots of, I work with lots of master's athletes who said exactly what, what we've just been talking about, that at school they didn't like hockey. But then it was later on, they thought, well, actually, but I can, but I quite like running. I quite like cycling. And so, and then they started to take that up at a later age. And then they found they were really good at it and they enjoyed it. So don't be scared that, oh, just because you didn't like a school sport, that doesn't mean, you know, that you wouldn't enjoy something else. So it's a case of sort of uh, keeping it on the boil. And also, I think that social aspects are really important. Sometimes that can really motivate you. If some friends are saying, look, I'm going to go and try cold water swimming or something. It's like, well, why not? Why don't you, you know, give it a go? It's never, it's never too late. So um, trying to be involved in exercise but also in general terms like you said activity i mean unfortunately today's world especially with covid you know when we had the lockdown and everyone's working from home sitting at desks all day um you know it's just being active overall is really uh important i think there are studies showing that of course doing exercise going for your swim or a dance class or whatever it is is very important but then if even then, if you're going to spend the whole of the rest of the day with your bottom parked on your chair, uh, you know, it kind of, I mean, it's good that you've done some exercise for sure. But actually, whilst you're sitting on your chair, having enforcing breaks, and I know, again, you can get engrossed in work, and then you find yourself stooped over the computer, you know, the one it's like, oh, my God, what's happened to my posture? And anyway, so making yourself get up and walking around a little walk around the block or walk around your house or whatever it is that's really important because it actually it will help not only your body and your movement but actually your brain because your brain also needs breaks as well and also sight as well uh, you know when you've been staring at the computer screen all day then it's not good so so absolutely you know explore different types of exercise um, it's never too late but also try and review your you know, your work patterns. I mean, there are some jobs I know which automatically you have to walk around, you know, like if you're a teacher or if you're a doctor walking around in the hospital, but quite a lot of everybody's job nowadays is sitting down at the computer. So it's not being lazy and whatever, just to take a 10 minute break, just to do a little walk. I think that's really um, important. Ideally outside, if you can, to get some, to include some fresh air as well, that will really, will help your pre um, productivity in your work as well. You, you're reading my brain. <laughs> um, for for me, I really <laughs> noticed. Well, I really noticed in lockdown. Um, I was that person going to an exercise mm. class or doing an exercise class at home in the morning, and then sitting for the mm. rest of the day, same position. Mm. And I, well, my back went first, yep. um, and then um, yep. I, I sorted them out. 
And then my knees went. I had a lot of trouble mm-hmm. with my knees. And it's just, you know, right. I, I think I think maybe it might be even worse doing a doing a class, an exercise class at you know ten o'clock, and then sitting for the rest of the day. You, it's so bad yeah. for our body to do that. So really good yeah, advice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That movement we have to do needs to be all day. And I think for all of those working at home. I think we absolutely have got to address this. And we do. We get stuck and the clock mm. just goes, you know, so quick. We're like, oh, we've run yeah, out of yeah. time. And I, I haven't done it. I, I live in a beautiful village. It's gorgeous out there, especially at the moment. The colours and everything are amazing. I am going to try and force myself. And it's not easy because we just get stuck to do a 10-minute walk. So I'm going to do it after this. Mm. I'm Nikki, I'm listening to you. Right. <laughs> I'm gonna, and as you Good. say, ex- I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go do a ten minute walk. Exercising outside is a win-win as well. I know it's not nice if it's raining. People have this terrible view that in England it's always raining, and it's really not. You just remember when it's mm. raining. When, when you see the blue sky, it's beautiful blue sky today. <laughs> you know, get out, even if it's raining. Let's put some extra clothes on. So if you're not mm. doing it too much now, you know, it's, it's something you can definitely do on your own. But if you've got yep. some friends that are working at home that live near you, let's say take half hour off and let's go and go for a walk. It's that's a win win win. Mm. You know, tick tick tick. And as you say, it will increase yeah. your productivity. So moving all day, mm. out, getting outside if you can, and you know, get some friends along for sure. Um, mm. So just just to finish off, we've talked a lot about exercise, but. Obviously, for our well-being and for our women's health, you mentioned sleep and nutrition as well. And you mentioned this Mm -hmm. in your book. Um, So maybe maybe just the last thing about you mentioned sleep already and anything else about sleep and also about what we're eating, what we're putting in our stomachs. Mm. So the thing is... um... I'm going to actually quote Hippocrates. Hippocrates said 2,000 years ago, he was onto something, this chap. He said, if we could give every individual just the right amount of nutrition and exercise, not too little and not too much, we would have found the surest way to health. I mean, what wise words? So we are talking about lifestyle. Now, the interesting thing about Hippocrates, he said this, and it, it makes absolute sense to us. It's like, oh, yeah, of course, that's right. But why is he right? Uh, and it's because of the hormones. Because our hormones are programmed from evolution to keep us healthy, right? Okay, homeostasis, everything nice and healthy and stable inside our bodies. That's what they will do. But they respond to what we do on the outside. So if we sit all day, if uh, we eat probably excessive food, maybe, because we're sitting all day, so we don't you know, uh, and our sleep patterns are not good, uh, then this is going to impact your hormones and the hormones direct uh, the direction of our health, uh, physical and mental health, whether it's going to go good or bad, if you sort of mean. So absolutely, exercise is one of these key things, but it's in combination with nutrition and sleep. That is um, the recipe for healthy hormones. And if you have healthy hormones, you will have overall health and well-being. So 
top tips for exercise, I think we, we've done that, Joyce, but in terms of top tips for sleep, uh, why sleep uh, and the pattern of your sleep, more precisely, is so important is because all your hormones have their own internal biological clocks. So you want to try and get synchrony uh, with your internal clocks. If you have a, a mismatch, then you can develop what's called circadian misalignment, which is metabolic syndrome, which is big risk of type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease, because you are pushing against the hormones. And there's only going to be one winner in this situation. So um, sleep actually is pretty crucial uh, in addition to your exercise. And, you know, going to bed at a regular time, actually setting an alarm. These are my top tips for good sleep. Right. Um, uh, So-called sleep hygiene. So actually putting an alarm on for going to bed and not, I know I'm guilty of this myself. Don't know about you, Joyce, but I am. I'm really bad. Um, you know, looking at the computer or an email, or I can look at that at like 10 o'clock at night. It's like, don't do it. Okay. Don't look at that or your phones because the light emitted from those screens, they um, impact the production of the sleep hormone melatonin. So getting to bed at a regular time um, and, uh, you know, really sets, sets you up probably for a good night's sleep and coordination with your internal hormones. Going back to my grandmother, by the way, as a, as a slight aside, um, she always used to say, oh, yes, it's the hours of sleep you get before midnight's really important. And I used to think, literally, oh, this is an old wives', wives tale. And then, lo and behold, I think it was sometime last year um, or the year before, uh, recently anyway, a paper came out saying exactly this, that it is that regular bedtime, you know, ideally before midnight, that is so important for hormone health and therefore overall health. So thank you to my grandmother, not only for dance classes, but her wise words of wisdom around sleep. And then the nutrition, of course, uh, you know, in general terms, again, it goes down to the individual. Uh, we all have different energy requirements because we're all different. Uh, you know, even in, uh, in women of the same age, will be different body compositions. We will have different levels of activity, you know. So, again, try not to compare yourself with, especially, uh, yeah, stuff you see on social media. It's like, oh, look, this person is eating this and this is how they look. And you think, oh, well, if I do that, I'll look like that. It doesn't translate, I'm afraid. So nutrition, it just goes back again to common sense and my, what my grandmother used to say, uh, that <laughs> Breakfast is a really important meal of the day and having those regular meals really super important because regularity is what your body likes because then you're in sync with your hormones. So those are some basic, um, you know, without, we can't go into specifics because everyone's individual, but again, everyone I'm sure can try and make sure they're getting to bed at a good hour every day. Of course, we'll all have the occasional time when we're late. That's fine. But in general, trying to go to bed early, not looking at computers. And in terms of nutrition, make sure you are eating in a regular fashion, covering all the food groups. Again, we know it's busy. Life is busy. And you know, you can mean to have lunch at a time and then you get carried away. And then it's like, oh, no, it's really late. But again, trying to you know make it a little bit more a bit more of a routine for your body your hormones and therefore your health will definitely thank you for it thank you nikki and i must say that um quite a lot of my friends go to bed at nine or ten o'clock uh that i think it's something people often don't talk about but but they when i've asked them they do and and i never set and i take your point about setting the alarm in the evening i never set an alarm in the morning i've well, very, very rarely, mm. I know I'll be up. So I don't set an alarm. So mm. I wake 
when my body needs to wake and or mm. when, well actually when yeah. the cats wake me up but <laughs> they're not that often <laughs> but um but not not when my alarm wakes me up so um mm. Nikki I'm sure in your career you have talked and helped so many people with all the topics we've talked about today have you heard people say to you why didn't anyone tell me this why didn't I know this before and if so what what was the main thing they asked or said the main thing they comment on is the beautiful choreography of the female hormones. It's like, oh, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that's what was happening in my body with my hormones during the menstrual cycle. And I didn't realize that's what happened to my hormones as you go through this amazing journey, this female hormone odyssey, as I describe it. But specifically, if, I, you want to, if I'm allowed to give one thing, I would say sometimes the most common thing is a woman saying, I didn't realize that these types of hormonal contraception suppress all the production of my internal hormones. And that actually uh, is, uh, well, not surprising, uh, but really concerning. Um, and until recently, until since only since last year, I got nice to change the guidelines and says, and to say that if a woman presents and her periods have stopped, she's not pregnant, right? But she's got an imbalance in her lifestyle behaviors around the sleep, the nutrition, and the, and the exercise. So her periods have stopped. Then the tendency was just to put this woman on hormonal contraception, the combined oral contraceptive pill, because it made everyone feel better because she would have a withdrawal bleed. It's not a period. Uh, the doctor would feel they've done something, but it does nothing for bone health. So actually, that is probably the most common comment I've had from people. I didn't realize that. Um, uh, and I wish I had known that. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, certainly, we're, le we're le always learning, always learning more things. Um, mm. So, N Nikki, you, you do so much. You're very, very active. So what, on a day-to-day on -day basis, what motivates you to do all the great things that you do? Um, it's mainly because, uh, you know, I found it very rewarding, like explaining to people, this is what's happening and giving them advice. And although I'm a medical doctor at less and less of the time, I'm actually having to suggest medication, which is, I think a good thing <laughs> because, uh, you know, it, it's a, it, I've come to realize that these lifestyle factors, our choices, the balance of our lifestyle. Uh, is so, so influential to our, our hormone health. And so that's what really gives me satisfaction or pleasure, being able to explain that in terms, to, in terms that people can understand and implement. And then they come back and they say, okay, my periods have restarted or I don't know, whatever it is. I'm feeling much better. I'm able to do this. And, you know, thank you so much for explaining that to me in a way that I could actually achieve something and, uh, you know, do it for myself. It's empowering to have information to do it for yourself rather than, as often happens, if you see a doctor, you sometimes think they're going to give you, uh, you know, a magic <laughs> prescription for a magic pill and everything will. But actually, it's much more satisfying to have sorted it out yourself through some, some directed advice from me. So that's, that's really my motivation um, to see uh, that, you know, these explanations and support can really 
uh, help people reach their full potential. As, you know, as I say in the title on my book, that's everyone's different, but whatever that is objective for you, everyone deserves to, you know, get the most out of their life and live it to, to, to their full. You, you certainly are empowering women. It's, it's wonderful. Um, so what makes you happy and where is your happy place? So this might not be anything to do with work at all. Um, I'm writing, you know, I'm writing a book about good health and happiness mm. and I want to try and see how we can ensure that every woman is happy. But so I'm asking everyone, what makes them happy and where's your happy place? I think you might have guessed it already. <laughs> uh, it is actually, well, I, if I'm allowed to think, um, definitely I'm in my happy place when I go to my ballet class because I'm going to see all my friends that have been my friends there for, I don't know, 30 years or something. So it's like, oh, I'm going to have a catch up with them and say hello to them and see what they're up to. But also that because it's totally different, I have to, I have to forget work and everything because otherwise I won't be able to take in those steps I know I've had that when I've had something on my mind and it's like no I need to put that away because I need to really focus and enjoy and I need to listen to the music uh, so that is when I'm just like that is my sacred time in my ballet class uh, I'm doing it for me and with my friends and it's great but the other thing that makes me really happy of course is uh, you know family and friends uh, and that's so important, those social connections. And, you know, um, I'm fortunate I've got two lovely grown-up boys. Um, and uh, even though one of them is in New Zealand, so he's a long way away and uh, doing a PhD, we're going to go and visit him next year. But, you know, having our family catch-ups when they're virtual family catch-ups, um, it's just like that's really lovely and when we are all together. So I think those are my two the times when I'm happy and my, my, my body class and then, you know, with my family, having a laugh and a joke that that's, you know, laughter, that's always very important. One of my lovely sons has just rung the doorbell, <laughs> but he's coming in, he's coming in. I'm just going to make my hand up to tell him to be quiet. Um, and the very last question is what advice would you give your younger self? Um, well, I think actually all the things that I learned and set out to learn and understand about the hormones, um, maybe I should have applied them to myself, uh, you know, uh, in retrospect, it's like, yeah, I probably, well, I was over, I was overdoing it with exercise. I was very fixated about my weight and my shape. And actually it's like, hold on a minute, look at the bigger picture here. What are your um, priorities? Uh, but never having said that, um, you know, uh, on the other hand, having navigated that, it's like, you know, your life is a series of experiences. And so I guess I did learn from that myself and hopefully made me a bit more empathetic to, it's all very well us talking about the theory or, you know, we advise, it's good to do this and that, but actually, Empathy and understanding, because I was there myself, even if you know all the theory and, and it's all logical and you, you get it, actually putting that into practice is, is, the, is the most challenging. So um, I'm hoping that, um, yeah, as I say, that, that that's helps in, in, my, in my current work and um, empathy for, for people I work with and uh, helping them navigate that what can be a, tr a, tricky, uh, a tricky journey. 
Fantastic. Nikki, that's brilliant. It's been so good. We've, we've been working together for about eight, nine months now, but it's great to see how many things we have in common. You, you literally said everything I would have said the same way. It was, it was amazing. Um, so thank you so much. And everyone needs to watch out next year. We will be mm-hmm. with our wonderful team at UCL. We will be doing a lot of work. We've done quite a lot already around our UK menopause education and support program. And yeah, tune into Nikki. She's on lots of platforms and things doing lots of great work encouraging us all to exercise and I'm going to go for a walk in 10 minutes (laughs) thank you Nikki it was really great to talk to you thanks Joyce my pleasure great